Well, the good news, we're on track um, for the numbers of pages and so on. So not to rush anything, I just try, try to actually not have to cover 30 pages in one day at some point. Mm. You know, going, well, let's <laughs> explore this text. Let's explore this line for a few hours. Then go, we need to go 30 pages. Now we'll speed up, we'll speed up, especially when we get to the 10th boomy. Fast, yeah, because you, you know. <laughs> oh my God! It just slipped. the the things that slip out, eh? It's really good. <laughs> oh. oh, would you like to repeat that again so no, everyone can hear that? No, I don't think so. No, you don't think so. <laughs> <laughs> oh. now that one I can really laugh at. That's like that's like that's like sheer. <laughs> I wasn't reading the, the, the Lama's mind then. <laughs> no, 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 you certainly weren't. No, 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 quite the opposite, actually. No, what I was going to say is that because you're so um, right on that, that we could just move through that so quickly. That's what I was about to say, but you had a completely different take on that, which was something like, Oh, I won't repeat because that would be that would be embarrassing. Okay. I don't mind the embarrassment if it's useful. It's useful. Yeah. No, you, you know what you said. That's fine. Do you know possibly why you said that? Okay. Very good. Lovely though. That was that was that was. That was <laughs> <laughs> okay. Now, part four: the method. The method is the spiritual master's instruction. And uh, in other texts, there's no introduction to this. They've, they've, they've made an introduction uh, and given some different uh, headings. This actually chapter is impermanence, but this is the first part uh, to the section on impermanence, to part four. Since we have the primary cause, uh, Buddha nature... We have come from a continuous stream since beginningless samsara. At some time, we must have gained a precious human life and also to meet with a spiritual master. So now you, you it's saying you have uh, excellent requisites. Uh, you've got the precious human body and you have met with a spiritual master. So, what's your excuse? Another way of saying that is, so, what faults have prevented us from attaining Buddhahood in the past? We have been overpowered by the four obstacles. And of course, as you've, as you've read, no doubt, uh, explains the four obstacles. So, this, this is such, these, these uh, a text called Lamrim are beautiful. They, they uh, show you step-by-step step logically, at least in the logical consistency of the tradition, Step by step, not by Western logical consistency, but step by step by step by step, how a being actually unfolds, and even through karma. Enough merit, enough insight, enough merit to actually even to have the idea of liberation, enough merit to even meet certain types of teachers, 
enough merit, and so on, and, and it builds. So you may wonder, why, why me? Why am I interested in Dharma? Why am I interested in liberty? Why am I interested in being with that teacher, so on? So this is all to do with um, accumulation of um, imprints in the mind. That's how everything happens, imprints in the mind. That's how you arrive everywhere. That's how we go everywhere. Upon uh, death, there will be an imprint in the mind which is strong enough to move the consciousness to another space of another time, of another place. And every night upon uh, dying or falling asleep, the consciousness once again emerges into different um, places called dreams, uh, which are to do totally with the storehouse, if you wish, of the intent, um, intentions or, or um, uh, imprints in the mind. And the more you purify those imprints, the more the dreams change, and therefore more the life changes, and therefore more the rebirth activity of where the conscious goes uh, changes. It's quite simple, really. So you alter karma, yes. Are the dream imprints only from this life or other lives? Uh, they can be from other lifetimes, but that's, that, that doesn't happen that often. It's mostly, most of what's happening right now, except for the big waves, the big, the big, 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 big patterns, most of all the little wavelets all day long are, are of this life, of which a lot of it comes from the, predisposi the predispositions laid down uh, in the womb conditioning just the physio profound physiological uh, womb conditionings of this life. But there are tendencies and giant tendencies that can come through uh, from previous formations, which is where you're going to go in life, how you're going to tackle life, where you find yourself uh, in life. But the sort of the day-to-day -day patterns, the week-to-week -week patterns, the, is, is mostly physiological stuff of this, of this life. And then the um, very deep, deep patterning, very, very deep, deep proclivities uh, can be from other previous formations. But you don't necessarily have to know what, where they are from. Just clear them through awareness. Yes? So is it uh, useful to record particularly vivid dreams, or is it just a uh, yeah. story that's... This is really knowing when it is a really important dream. Mm. I don't know how you... You, you just got to... Well, I guess it's merit again, too. or Marriage, knowledge... Merit, merit, knowledge... All kinds of qualities. But there are profound... Uh, unless you have none. <laughs> that can happen. But there are great dreams of a life. There, there are truly great dreams that tell you where one's going, what one needs to do, Quite amazing dreams, but you have to know what those are. You have to know when they, they really speak to you and that they are really of great import. And a lot of the dreams are, are just printed, printed, printed. Uh, the worry mind, the, the problem-solving mind, not even necessarily the worry mind, but sometimes, but the problem-solving mind finding a way to handle something. And if it's a difficult way of handling it, if it's a difficult situation in dream, it's because there's a lot of angst around that situation. There's a lot of fighting during the day, or a lot of anxiety or problem solving during the day, and the emotional material can't really be handled well, obviously. So it's handled unobviously and a bit weirdly in a dream. 
strangely in a dream, unusually. But, but actually, the way it happens is, as one purifies more and more and more, you get extraordinarily interesting dreams at times, but most dreams are just very, very ordinary. It's like, it's like being awake. Even maybe just meditating. Just meditating or just being awake or, or doing things a very, very ordinary way. But then some very, very direct, extraordinary dreams. Not, not to say weird dreams, just very pointedly direct dreams or accessing things. And then, of course, uh, as it says in some of the texts, uh, at the very, very highest levels, um, and you might experience this as you, appro- as you approach further and further and further, uh, more and more experiences of, of what you know to be, especially in retreat, dreamless, dreamless sleep, but vivid awakeness. In other words, presence, awakeness, but dreamless. Like a beautiful, clear Mahamudra, Zogchen, uh, dwell, indwelling quality. But even for someone uh, of that attainment, like Milarepa, uh, he reported on many occasions the uh, prophetic, all kinds of prophetic dreams for his students or about things, even though he was at a place where um, the end of all phenomena had the, the end of all uh, phenomena had been had been reached, which means no more fooling by phenomena, the cessation of all the. Um, willy-nilly appearances. But we're, uh, we're going to carry on here. Okay, so we have been overpowered. Much of this, because this text is beautiful. As it goes along, uh, you're going to see. Now, this is one thing I wanted to point out tonight. Well, I may as well do it now. Why not? It's on my mind. But you'll see, up, your meditation up to this point, as I've given you, has been on what? Loving-kindness, uh, mindfulness, breath, yes? Does it correspond to this text? Yes. What happens in uh, another page and a half? Impermanence, insight. So already, this text uh, is moving the mind towards the critical contemplations of not, not just about death and life can end suddenly, but moving it towards, uh, let's get real, insight. Insight, nature, the nature of reality as it is. Then, what are these four obstacles to the attainment of Buddhahood? These are worth, I mean, worth really noting. You can actually use this as a meditation. These are the obstacles. I will clear these obstacles. I will work through these obstacles. This is my my goal. I will do this obstacle this month. The next obstacle the next month. The next obstacle the next month. Next obstacle, next month, and full Buddhahood in four months. <laughs> ah, you're smiling, you're laughing. That's a good sign. But someone in front of me might say, "No, not possible." <laughs> Maybe I could note this for years. <laughs> it's like the um, two bag, the bo- two bag. Oh yes, Mr. Two bags. Mr. Two bags. <laughs> Mr. Tuba, still do, still, still every retreat. They were uh, large bags of potato chips. Okay. Then, uh, well, actually, they were taken away. Then, what are these four obstacles to the attainment of Buddhahood? Being attached. So, number one, being attached attached to this life's activities, being attached to the pleasure of samsara, being attached to peace and not understanding the method by which enlightenment is achieved. 
Very pointed, isn't it? Very kind of edge-like, isn't it? Not even a uh, one micron of slither around the uh, round space to go, well, yeah, but about, well, uh, but, uh, what? It's kind of like the razor's edge of there isn't any wriggle room here. So let's explore what these mean. How can these four obstacles be dispelled? They are dispelled by practicing the instructions heard from the spiritual master, or masters. Masters. How many instructions of the spiritual master are there? The summary. So these are the summaries of how a spiritual teacher actually teaches. Not how, but what they actually deliver to you. That's lovely, isn't it? Isn't it amazing, these minds that make lists? It's great. Over thousands of years, different teachers, so, well, you know, there's maybe in a class go, well, you know, there's three things this way. And the students write that down, these three things, and then that becomes the three such and such. And then a teacher who's very, goes, well, you know, there's eight ways in which different spiritual teachers teach. And that gets in, it develops, in the, and then people check it out. Yeah, I like that list. I do that too sometimes. I'll see a list and I go, I like that list. I think I'll use that. That's exactly how it happens. Or your teacher says something, comes up with something like, well, you know, there's four ways in which, it just comes off the top of there, there's four ways in which, you know, oh, that's really good. Next thing you know, you're writing your notes, and the next thing you know, you're, someday you teach it, and someone listens to it, and they, they, they do it. It goes on and on and on. 2,000 years later, it's still going on. It gets in the books. Okay. How many instructions of the spiritual master are there? And, of course, you're thinking, I heard that. Too many. <laughs> I, who said that? I heard that. No, I'm, just I'm, I'm joking. <laughs> meditation on impermanence, number one. Meditation on the faults of samsara and cause and result. Number three, meditation on loving kindness and compassion and the various elements of the cultivation of bodhicitta, enlightenment mind. These four comprise uh, the instructions of the spiritual master. This is it. This is like the totality. All instructions of spiritual master can be put in these categories. Well, you just say, well, what? doesn't the spiritual master just teach enlightenment, teach about awakening. Yes, but they've divided it into categories uh, so you can better understand what, what, they're, what they're up to. So you see how big the uh, first category is uh, in terms of all the rest, in terms of one out of four, meditation on impermanence. It starts there. And then, of course, again, what comes up again? Cause and effect. Understanding the insight of cause and effect. And you see meditation on loving, kindness, and compassion. Without that, Nothing happens. No, no liberation happens. You can become a magician. You can become um, uh, peaceful, kind of, but not really, not so deeply peaceful. And then the various elements of the cultivation of bodhicitta, that is the mind that wants to be awake and with for other beings. These four comprise the instructions of the spiritual master. To restate, they are the instructions on the meditation practice regarding impermanence, instructions on the meditation practice regarding reflection, and on the faults of samsara and on cause and its result, instructions on the meditation practices regarding loving kindness and compassion, and instructions on how to cultivate bodhicitta. 
thus contemplating the subject of impermanence, remedies attachment to this life's activities. If you really get a feel for impermanence, how impermanence life is, it will uh, remedy the feeling of life is going to go on and on. I have all the time in the world and it really I can fritter away hours and days and um, you know what, even if I don't become enlightened in this lifetime, I've got lots of other lifetimes. And, you know, and, and I'm going to live for a long time. Maybe even when you're, you know, in your 20s or teens, kind of live forever. You're indestructible. Reflecting, uh, there's a whole section on that, so I can reserve that for later. Uh, for, uh, yes, for very much later. Uh, reflecting on the faults of samsara and on karma, cause, and its result, remedies attachment to the pleasure of samsara. Meditating, you, you understand that, yes? The pleasures of samsara. That is, give me, let me give you an example. That would be that a believing that a pleasure, a pleasurable thing that you're doing, is really ultimately worthwhile as opposed to something useful for elevating the mind or something useful for strengthening the mind. Does that make sense? In other words, if I could just uh, be happy in my job all the time, I'd be happy, right? If I have so much, at least so much in my bank account, I could be happy. If I could surround myself with beautiful gardens because they're so pretty, I will feel good, and I don't because I hear these things. So I, I'm just repeating what I, I hear. If I have beautiful gardens around me, and I can keep gardening all year round, or what it is, be surrounded by beauty, beauty of trees, I will be beautiful. I will feel beautiful. I will feel beauty inside me. These these kinds of things. Yeah. It doesn't matter if it's tea or coffee or paintings or um, gems or uh, boats or people or yachts. Beautiful people. If I can surround myself by beautiful people, I will feel beautiful. Or the beautiful cocktail party. Or the beautiful, if I can make beautiful dinners for people, breakfast, lunch, and supper, and put on beautiful dinner parties. And I've met people like this. Right? Cooking day and night to please beings, please family, please guests, the best china, the best cutlery, yeah, all these things, the best tableware, the best household food, even competing, I will feel happy inside. This is this, is this endless round of, of uh, being in a realm believing that pleasure is going to do, as opposed to using pleasure for liberation. Meditating on loving kindness and compassion, remedies, attachment, to the pleasure of peace. Very profound. You'll see this come up a lot in the Mahayana teachings and especially the Vajrayana teachings, this attachment to peacefulness. It's insidious. And, and, and uh, I often look at a, at a, at a crowd or a, a group of people that I'm speaking to about this with, I can see that little shade of doubt. Well, wait a minute, that doesn't make any sense. This is Buddhism. But this becomes a very big impediment 
is the impediment to insight, wisdom, primordial wisdom. And one of the biggest impediments is peacefulness. Maintaining peacefulness, maintaining the good, maintaining a... Uh, uh, all must be peaceful for there to be progress. This is not the case. It's not the case. Remember that in the Tantric tradition, there are more fierce yidams than peaceful yidams. Not by a lot, but by statistical enough. About 6 or 7%. I have counted. It's the kind of mind I have. But it's about that. 6 or 7%. Maybe 5 6 or 7%. More fierce than peaceful. Now, is that because lamas by nature are fierce and like wrathful things do. No, it's because to bring out the talents and to bring out the real strengths of beings sometimes requires a lot of strength and determination and fierceness and, uh, if you want, cracking the whip. Why? Because people will do what? They'll rest in peace. It's just that easy. I feel good, therefore, why do I need to work? Why do I need to get fierce when it's feeling so darn good? Isn't feeling darn good the path? Yes? But no. So it's an extraordinarily uh, refined pitfall. Meditating on loving kindness and compassion remedies attachment to the pleasure of peace. Why? Because loving kindness and compassion is not just about you, it's about all beings. And it means that sometimes you don't give somebody what they want out of love. Whatever you want, I'll give you because you need love. But if you're really loving another being, you don't always give the... They're having a little few more poppies on the way. Noticing that the poppy tops of the seed pods are missing. Today I was looking at them. And we've had poppies. And, you know, the seed pods have been cut off. Unless we have a poppy seed thief somewhere. They're suspicious. So, so we went out today and we were looking for the tops. They should be lying on the ground, right? They're not. So... Uh, we have a pretty good idea of who's eating the <laughs> tops off the poppies. It's a miracle the poppies are still out here at all, really, in this dear, dear world, right? Is that right, Nancy? In this dear world, it's pretty amazing that they're still out there yes. at all. But I have a pretty good hunch of who's eaten the tops off. Teddy and the deer. Teddy and the deer, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so... Uh, to to appreciate uh, how deep this is, uh, the deeper you understand the roots and the symptoms and the causes of suffering, the more you can actually uh, really have a heart of love for beings, and it's not always peaceful. Does it make sense? And you understand that a, per- a person who's lost in peace is actually in a very, very difficult state. Because it's like... Uh, human beings are addicted to pleasure. 
They are deeply addicted to pleasure and desire. So you, one has to bring them out of this continuously. It's a vehicle, but out of them, out of this continuously. So this is a very, very important principle. Beings don't necessarily awaken by being nice. Sometimes they do. Sometimes they don't. And you have to stop looking for a being's affection and provide them with, with true love, true love and true compassion, which isn't always nice, but can be absolutely nice and beautiful, if it's appropriate. What it, so it becomes a contemplation of not peacefulness, not staying in a state of peacefulness, what is appropriate for that being at this time for their own being, for awakening, not to be peaceful and nice. Does that make sense? Because the universe isn't like that. Have you noticed that? Have you noticed that? The universe has windstorms. We could wake up one day, and in the 60 acres, this and the other properties, could have half the trees gone, just gone, flattened. Is that peaceful? I hope it doesn't happen, especially while in a retreat. But every year we're around here, we have trees fall suddenly. One just missed the house so two years ago. Just just missed the lab window. Saw one here aiming at the house back here, standing in a window praying because there's nothing you can do about it. It's going to aim right at the house. The wind shifted and it went this way and broke right off. That way. You don't know. You don't know when, you don't know how. So it can go very quickly, yeah? especially on the ocean of samsara. Peaceful, non-peaceful. Cultivating the supreme bodhicitta, the supreme bodhicitta, the enlightenment mind that wishes all beings to be free, is the antidote for not understanding the method by which to achieve enlightenment. That means a practicing enlightenment mind, but for all beings is the supreme way to achieve enlightenment. The supreme way. Why? Because that is supreme enlightenment. It's straightforward. That because that actually is. So you may as well start now. You know, you could take the gradual path. The gradual path is for a very, very timid being. A little bit of peace, a little bit of happiness, a little bit of less fear. You know, the, the timid little deer going, well, they're not so timid. They look timid, you know. That's a, that's a disguise, but... You know, this kind of thing. But you could do that for millions of years. You see? Millions of years. But when it becomes an understanding that all beings are in this, that your enlightenment is my enlightenment, my enlightenment is your enlightenment, that I'm actually here, uh, you're actually instigating this being's liberation, and I'm instigating your, liber your liberation, and we're interdependent. And with all, all, all beings interdependent, and then you start to get an appreciation of how vast liberation is, and that that actually that interdependence of all beings, all mind, mind, liberating mind, is actually the liberation. That compassion is it. So this is, this is, and then you say, well, yeah, but what about me? Well, there's the fear. What about you? It could be there isn't any you to liberate. Wouldn't that be funny? 
Wouldn't you have a good laugh? If you woke up one day and went, wow, there's no me to actually liberate. There never was any me to liberate. And actually the role, route to liberation is to liberate and help awake another beings. And if you do that really cleanly, you awaken really fast. It demands you awaken fast. It demands you get all your paramita together very, very quickly. As opposed to, well, over millions of years, I will be very happy to awaken. You know what said about the goad in the last, remember the last chapter, the... It made reference to the teacher and the goad, you know? Well, that's made a lot of what teachers do is they, they, they are the, uh, the mahout with a goad in the elephant's skull reminding uh, the student, wake up, wake up, faster, faster, forward, forward, no, reverse, right, left, reverse, forward, forward, forward. These are the factors used to cultivate the mind and to develop bodhicitta. From the time one starts taking refuge until one meditates on the meaning of true selflessness or from the five paths. Five paths are in, a cha- in the later chapter, if you want to know about the five paths in the later chapter. Or from the five paths until the ten bhumis. Ten bhumis are the uh, different stages of bodhisattva. All dharma teachings are included in the cultivation of bodhicitta. Do you hear that? And when, it's, when it comes to Mahayana teaching, all teachings are encompassed in the practice and the unfolding of bodhicitta, including all tantric practices. All the Adams are embodiments of bodhicitta. That's what you practice. Uh, you, if you're saying mantras of Omani Pei Mahong, that's the unfolding of bodhicitta. If you're uh, visualizing uh, green tara, it is the embodiment of bodhicitta. So the entire body of teaching of Mahayana is bodhicitta, bodhicitta. Why? You, because and when it comes to Mahamudra Zogchen teachings, yeah, which, which will be alluded to in this book, and even sometimes right there, it's actually right there in the first chapter, is bodhicitta is your mind. That's what you wake up to. Buddha nature, which is bodhicitta, is your mind. Is mind. You wake up to that. You don't wake up to your mind. You wake up to bodhicitta. Straightforward, isn't it? But in the beginning, it's my mind. My mind suffering. I have to wake up. I have to get better. Yes? Right? But as one unfolds and develops more clarity, more confidence, more easefulness, more understanding of uh, truth, then it dawns very, very naturally that there's nothing really to struggle against about you. It's actually uh, unfolding greater and greater appreciation of compassion uh, unified with emptiness. Bodhicitta, bodhicitta, bodhicitta. That is the mind. The mind that resides in clarity, real clarity, what they call real clarity, not just clear light, but clarity. Uh, Not clear light. Uh, uh, Lights and clarity, but real clarity, is a mind of bodhicitta. So you have to find that. You could actually take a meditation which is, I will find bodhicitta. I will self-examine 
and examine nature and my being and my actions and my mind to discover the bodhicitta. That's what we're doing. These are aids. These are skillful aids to discover bodhicitta, the universe of bodhicitta. So no longer your bodhicitta, just bodhicitta. So it's not really about you, is it? Not really. Yeah, rat. Wish it was. But it's, uh, you have to drop you for bodhicitta. Yes? Pardon? If you see a bee land on a flower yes. and you know, then go about its job of pollinating and Probably not an elephant. Uh, no. Okay. <laughs> is that sort of like the bodhicitta of the of the universe kind of unfolding before you? Like it's a kindness to the flower that the bee is doing? It it is, but in a very deep sense, but but um, <laughs> deeply hidden. Because it's really not on about awakeness, it's on about nutriment. But at a very, very deep level, that attentiveness and that, that mind moving uh, and wishing for nutri- nutrient, deep, deep, deep down as a principle, is bodhicitta. And it will, may, may even display <coughs> the giving up of its life for another butterfly or, or so on. Yeah, it's there. The universe displays it all the time. Even through death, it displays it. When the elephant tries to pollinate a flower, it's not always a sign of... No, I'm just kidding. That's a joke. You can go on with that, but... Some practices form the foundation from which to cultivate the enlightenment mind. Some are the objects of the cultivation of the mind. Some are the methods to cultivate the mind. Some are the training in the cultivation of the mind. Some are the beneficial effects of the cultivation of the mind. And some are the results of the cultivation of the mind. So all the Mahayana teachings are included in cultivation of the mind, a bodhicitta. Not mind, a bodhicitta, enlightenment mind. These are they're, they're just they're summarizing all the possibilities of teaching about the object, about the non-object, about the uh, the uh, enlightenment mind, about you as the enlightenment mind. They're basically saying it's whatever it is, it's going to be about bodhicitta. So if you have a Mahayana spiritual teacher, in theory, should be. That the Mahayana spirit, the teacher of Mahayana, will be on about not just the liberation of you, is going to be directing you to the liberation for all beings. Doesn't matter what they're teaching. This way, that way, this way, that way, that way, this way. So, for instance, give an example. A a way of uh, of saying this is if a if a being, if a, a spiritual teacher or master is imbued with the, the uh, view of Mahayana, if you wish, then if they teach Anapanasati, which is about your liberation, they're going to elevate it and turn it into all beings you contemplate eventually, all beings breathing to liberation. You're going to breathe in all beings, breathe out all beings. 
so that they all liberate. Does this make sense? That's the view they're going to hold, and eventually that's how they'll teach it. Even though they might teach it classically from this, it will then be, of course, naturally altered to move the meditation so that it's a contemplation of all beings breathing wisdom breath. Whatever it is, it's going to move that way. And if the person who is studying under that teacher gets caught or trapped in, well, what about me, a little bit too much, then they're going to be turned to, well, what about the other? Why don't you do service for the other? Maybe you shouldn't be meditating because you're so focused on you that it's self-defeating. Why don't you go and build a stupa? Why don't you go and build a golden palace for the teaching of Dharma for other beings instead of being about your liberation? Do you understand? Yeah. Good. Therefore, another way of saying this, putting this, is that if you don't lay, if you don't lay the seeds of the of bodhicitta over and over and over again, it's so easy to stray into believing that the path of liberation is spelled out. The method is about only about your liberation. So by bringing this view over and over and over again, that compassion is the supreme way to liberate, dispels the fear, keeps removing the fear of, well, what about me? What about me? What about me? Because that's the central issue of why beings are frozen. Because the self-focus is so deep. And most of you should come to recognize that most of when you feel so loving uh, and glorious, especially for most people, which is with a loving partner, yes? For a lot of people, the time they really, really feel a sense of unity and letting go and uh, a feeling of freedom and a feeling of bliss is when they're in love with another being, yes? Right? Mm-hmm. They get to taste that. Mm-hmm. Well, that's what they want. What happens? They lose their ego boundaries. I don't mean I don't mean in a direct way. They lose their ego boundaries for the other. You know, if they're in love, they might even cook their partner breakfast or something. Could you imagine? You know, like in the first week. I have to say, you know, because it's being well, that's kind of a joke, but not really a joke. But they they might even they might even you know go to the store and shop for them or or. Um, go on the internet for them, or they might even pick some flowers for, you know, courting, courting ritual and so on. But, but love, they just want to be in the other space and subsumed by there, right? Well, that's what it's like to be awake for beings. Why wouldn't you do that with other beings? What are you, what are you scared of? So compassion, which is loving kindness mixed with the activity to... Uh, uh, free and help other beings through insight can can only be the direct way because it has to be the direct way because it's supreme fearlessness. It removes fear. It removes the boundaries of obscuration. It's very very straightforward. It must be the supreme way. All the rest must be based on fear. Well, what about my meditation? What about when I'm going to get enlightened? What about forget it? You don't have to do that. You don't really have to do that. You need to contemplate 
supreme compassion, which is your mind liberating with and for other beings, is supremely powerful. So how do you know this? You need to be soaked in it. You need to get glimpses of it. You need to meet somebody called a spiritual master that actually uh, breathes it, lives it, uh, not just believes in it as a theory, but actually lives that way. And then it might rub off on you. go, hmm, this could be real. This could be real. This could be a genuine quality of a human being. And then you'll say, well, well, how many, statistically, how many beings on the planet are like that? This would be the Western mind, right? And that would go, well, I I couldn't. (laughs) Not possible, right? It's not possible. I, I couldn't. Something like that, you know. Not possible. But that would be doubt. That's a deep, deep, deep doubt of, well, they can do it, but I, I, I could never do it. One day uh, in the West, we will have many, many people who exhibit these characteristics, and more and more people will actually see these and meet these people and know these people and go, yeah, sure, can be done. Just need to work at it. They're called a community of many, many, many saints, many, many beings that have these qualities, enough of them, that uh, you can point there, 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 there. So what's, what's the uh, excuse? Therefore, all these instructions are imparted by the spiritual master. Depend on the spiritual master. It says in the planting... It says in the text, planting the noble stock sutra, quote, the spiritual master is the source of all the virtuous teachings. The attainment of omniscience depends on the instruction of the spiritual master. Why? Because it's really hard to get yourself. It's really hard. Now, continuing in the text, let's, let's look at some of the other languages used. By the way, any, any questions so far? That's a beautiful synopsis of it, isn't it? It's a lovely, very good, good uh, introduction. Now, this, in this version, in this translation by Gunther, uh, it starts off and says the title, The Instruction on the Transitoriness of the Composite. Quite technical like right out of an Abhidhamma text. All that is composite, all that's made out of components, which is what? Everything. Everything. Us, it, everything. All that is composite is impermanent. The method are the instructions of spiritual friends, well, of the Kalyanamitta. Eminent, eminent spiritual friends. The four obstacles by which the attainment of Buddhahood is prevented. They are attachment to sensuous experiences during this life, to sensual uh, pleasures in this world, to self-complacency, and ignorance about the means of realizing Buddhahood. And then it says it's the uh, Kalyanamitta, uh, in plural here. Interesting. In, In this text, it's singular. The spiritual master, in this text, it's actually multiple. Interesting, right? Hmm. Hmm. 
be worth downloading. See if we can download a copy of this text. Yes. So he, his interpretation of being attached to peace was self-complacency? Yes. Um, let me check. Let me check that. Let me double check that before I just say yes. Self-complacency. And let's look up. You might actually have the Sanskrit here. Or the Tibetan. Self-complacency is a term for Hinayana egotistic nirvana. It, it, it means uh, to be basically wiped out. Self-complacency in the sense of peace, which is uh, um, if I attain to a sphere of peacefulness, uh, I will forever, ever after feel blissfully good at peace. Is that the nature of the universe? Maybe. But is that the work to be done? The question is, eh? Uh, feel it this way. If you were living in a house and uh, you could theoretically, or could, dwell in a state of uninterrupted, blissful wakefulness, undifferentiated mind, pristinely awake, and beings around you were disturbed, crying, upset, bothering each other, getting into trouble. Imagine as a parent, would you remain in a state of uninterrupted peace or would you interact with those beings which could be uh, wave-like and turbulent at times? Yes? Mm-hmm. How could you not? Because wouldn't the state of nirvana be fearlessness? So where's the fear? What would, what would disturb your continuum of wakefulness? Theoretically, nothing. If you really have that attainment. So why wouldn't you? So complacency and peacefulness is, uh, uh, is a trap people fall into. And then ignorance uh, about the means of realizing Buddhahood. So, let's see, three is, uh, oh yeah, number five. When it says there are four topics of instruction, if you read in in the copy you have before you, it says meditation on permanence, and in this text, the text reads concentrated attention to transitoriness. Isn't that interesting? It's a little bit of a different flavor. Meditation on impermanence, and here he's giving the literal translation of the Tibetan word, which is going to be gompa, or gom. Hmm? And he's bringing that, that translation out. Instead of saying meditation, he's going concentrated attention to 
trans to uh, transients because the Tibetan is, is uh, gom or in Sanskrit bhavana. Let's let's put that on. That's worth worth thoroughly worthy to. Be good to look at the words that are used for meditation. Yes, and these. So let's just say meditation. Let's actually look at the words that are used that have been translated as meditation. Why not? Instead of going meditation, meditation, uh, bhavana, and agam. Um, bhavana is uh, first day is long, last day is long. And then gom is actually a small, put a small s in front of the G, please. A small s, that's a silent s. Agam dot pa, gompa. So gompa, you've heard of gompa before? A gompa? It means a place of meditation. A gompa. A, a pa is like a person. Gompa. Gom is meditation. Gompa is like a place or a um, a uh, yeah a, a place or a, a, be, a being of meditation. So uh, these two words are equivalent, meaning to bring into existence. Isn't that interesting? So the word bawana, bawa, bawa means being. So the word bawana, which often is the word, which is the word for meditation means to bring into being. Isn't that, it's very different, isn't it? Mm. To bring forth. So let's, let's look it up. But to bring forth. And so then you have to ask, what are they referring to? Bringing forth what? Bringing forth what? Let's, mm-hmm. let's find the mind in one tradition or in uh, Southeast Asia. Bringing forth, if it's Bawana, bringing forth an uninterrupted continuum of mindfulness and concentration. It's meditation. Let's look at it. If you, if you learn your 600 basic roots of Sanskrit, which you'll have done by... Are they, are they working on that for tomorrow? Roots, yeah. Instead of the 20, 21 or 2400 ones. But if you just start with a 600, it's actually then you can look at words like... You can go ba or bawa. Ba is a root. And then you go, okay, that's what that generally means. And then the, the, I look at other roots and you get a sense of actually it's its general base meaning. You can get misled that way. But it really helps. It really helps to know the roots. So, ba. Let's look up bhavana. Bhagavad Gita. Bharata. Bhavana. Hmm, where's the one with the long A? That should be it. There is Bhavana. Causing, a causing to be. This is the word for meditation. This is the word that was picked on. I mean, that was, where, which was uh, translated 
and all the books has been keeps getting translated as the word meditation. Let's let's find out what what it actually means. Causing to be affect to be, affecting, producing, displaying, manifesting, promoting or affecting anyone's welfare. Imagining, fancying, teaching, creator, producer, efficient. Forming in the mind, conception, apprehension, meditation, in thought, in imagination. And then the technical meaning here, bhavana, produced by imagination or meditation, wisdom obtained by meditation, dharmas. And then you get different names. Bhavana Marga, a spiritual state, actually it literally means a path of meditation. Dharma, uh, uh, Bhavana Marga would be the path of um, existence. So what does meditation really mean in the old, old ancient language? To manifest life. To manifest that which is alive. Beautiful, right? Eh? Yeah. Not dead, but alive. Yeah. So the word uh, bawa, bawa uh, the, the word bawa comes from the root bu, b h u, long u, becoming, being, existing, occurring, appearance, uh, turning or transition into, continuance. To cessation, continuity of thread. So you, you see this word comes from? So the word for meditation actually means continuity of the thread. That's what it is. Just go look at the root. So that's, that's uh, what's been used for thousands of years when they use the word meditation. Continuity. They use other specific words. But that's the general one. So a, a teacher of meditation, for instance, Namjur Rinpoche was a kamma Bhavana, Kama Bhavana Acharya, which means a meditation uh, teacher, Kama, Kama Bhavana is mental culture. So it's not even just meditation, the entire range of mental culture, how to be a human being, how to be a, a great human being. Make sense? Yeah. And, and Gom, I don't have the, it's a Bakshin dictionary down here, but Gom. Uh, has similar meanings, not just to do with meditation, but also mental concentration and um, the full, the full unfoldment of human being. Good to look up. And then it says, uh, yes, until it becomes, until it becomes a living experience, it is preceded. That is Bawan or Gom, uh, Gompa is preceded by hearing called Thospa, or Shrutta in Sanskrit, and by pondering over that which has been heard, Sampa, or Chinta. So according, according to tradition, all, all Buddha, traditional Buddha Dharma, without Gom, Gom or without Bhavana, nothing can be deeply heard. Nothing, nothing can be unfolded. Why? There's simply not enough attention 
not enough uh, thread. Uh, the thread hasn't been strung out enough uh, for one to come to profound uh, changes. This isn't there. I like this. This is very good. Uh, one, instruction in the development of concentrated attention to the significance of transitoriness. The significance of transitoriness, not just transitoriness. That's important, eh? Because they say to someone, go meditate on transience. They go observe transience. They go watch leaves going like this. They watch leaves fall and flowers fall and become seeds. And they go, and, and people get sick, all kinds of things. They go, well, yeah, it's transient. But where's the significance? That's what you want to find. What's significant about transient? If you're very, very busy, you make up stories about transients. But if you really, really slow down and observe all phenomena and see it's all transient, then you would, it would dawn on you, not intellectually, it must be more than that, it would dawn on you that, that not a, a, a millisecond goes by in any phenomena or any mental event that isn't the nature of transience. So the na most natural dharma of the universe is what? Transience. And transience is emptiness. That's freedom. Beautiful, isn't it? Mm -hmm. the, the beautiful thing is some people get very negative and they go, well then, it's all hopeless. No, no, no. Actually, it means that the mind must be free. You must be able to have infinite open possibilities if it's all tr uh, transient, moment to moment, because everything's changing. Otherwise, the whole universe would be completely robotic, wouldn't it? All completely fatalistic, deterministic, set in its ways, and you must become like this, and you're going to die on this date, and it's all fixed, all done, it's not the way at all. It's not, not, not at all that way. But it's not how most people experience emotionally the world. Even if they know, and they've heard teachings on transients, even if they studied nuclear physics or particle physics or, or all physics and, and chemistry and everything else, and they know that everything is zinging around and changing by picoseconds, that still doesn't help the emotional brain of the sentient creature that is hanging on for dear life and making the universe a non-transitory experience. So what is insight? What's wisdom? Experiencing transitory at the gut, knowing, physiological level as truth, and it's blissful and open, and that's the way the universe is, instead of going, oh my God, can you believe it, that things pass away? It's not fair. Yeah, exactly. Thank you, Terry. It's not fair that the trees fall down and people die and, and someday I'll die. And, but, but wait a minute. There isn't any other way in which the universe operates. Right? So emotionally, it's a huge fight, isn't it? It's like an enormous fight to keep everything stable.
That's why you see the Greeks. Are you, are you partly are you Greek? Greek? Greek. Yeah, Terry's Greek, for sure. I mean, that man is so Greek. Look at that. Uh, that's, of course, why the Greeks take their plates at, after meals, right? And dance and smash them. As a profound demonstration, with a bubble wine, with a profound demonstration of the transitoriness of all. Well, it's not because they don't like to do dishes. <laughs> well, no, if they really didn't like doing dishes, they'd have paper, paper plates, yeah. and just burn them. But no, I think, it's, I think it's deeper than that. I think it's deeper than that. Joke. It's not an ethnic joke, it's just happening. <laughs> really be, you know, it's like be, people going. Listen to the language of this. It's very, very, one has to, to uh, read carefully. Concentrated attention to the significance of transitoriness is the remedy for attachment to sensuous experiences in this life. Why? Because the human consciousness, don't take this as bad, all sentient creatures, the, the human, we'll talk about you for a moment, or me, is addicted to pleasure. Like addicted, you watch the birds going to the suet. Mm-hmm. Addicted to fat, addicted to mmm, mmm, and the next mmm, and the next mmm, and a better mmm, and a better mmm. Mm? Addicted. There's nothing wrong with fat, right? There's nothing wrong with feeling good. It's the un, it's the bewildered addiction to having to have the next one and the best one, and the next one, over and over and over and over again. Yes? Not even just being happy with the way it is. To the vicious state of samsara resulting from our actions. That is, how frequently uh, the actions that we do result in more bewilderment. Just more bewilderment, more bewilderment, trying to get out of bewilderment by, by creating all kinds of actions that basically just heap up more bewilderment. But feel like it, you're like you're swimming somewhere. Imagine swimming in a in an ocean, you don't really get anywhere. You just keep swimming around the ocean. That's what it's like. Of benevolence and compassion and for in the formation of an enlightened attitude. Oh, let's go down a little bit. Similar attention to the vicious states in our due to our actions removes attachment to the sensual pleasures of this world. Removes attachment. That's the key. So the spiritual master uh, keeps reminding the student, it's not that you, especially elevated in Tantra, it's not that there, you can't have pleasure, it's the attachment to pleasure. It's not that you can't use pleasure, but it's the attachment, it's addiction to pleasure. It's the bewilderment that pleasure is the answer. Pleasure is not the answer. Non-attachment is the answer. And the bliss that comes from non-attachment is called nirvana. Is that fairly straightforward? Mm-hmm. The bliss that comes from nirvana is, is a bliss that comes from the 
non-clinging is supreme. Then when we go into a a deeper, greater view, uh, it's not just the bliss of non-attachment, it's the bliss of non-attachment unified with the bliss of compassion that understands emptiness. That becomes supreme bliss. I'm going to get into that tomorrow when I uh, open the dictionary and we explore transience in detail. And also, uh, just very briefly, to look at the um, meditation of transience uh, as outlined in the Muti Manga. Uh, different beings go different ways. Generally speaking, for most beings, uh, for many beings, they need to go the route of dukkha, of, of seeing incessant um, irritation assessment frustration by, by clinging. But it turns out really that, that, that dukkha is really a manifestation of not understanding transience. So really you should start with transience. Most people can appreciate transience. It's really quite a straightforward one to be able to meditate on. Leaves falling, hair falling out of your, off your head, uh, nails cracking, teeth chipping, failing eyesight, glasses scratching, having to throw away glasses or recycle them. Logs uh, don't stay in the fireplace forever. They burn and then they turn into ash. So you actually have to go and get more logs. These these kinds of things. Uh, Having to eat because when you eat it's not enough. You have to eat again. Have you noticed that? A little. Uh, Over and over and over again. And then they produce dishes which have to be cleaned and and dried and so on. And then they get used again and again and again. And eventually, what happens to dishes? They wear out and they need to get replaced. I had Raphael break a dish today. Go and crack it up and smash it up. Oh, it's for the microscope. We need little pieces. Go smash it up. Boom, 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 boom. So... Transience is something that 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 um, at the at the manif- gross manifestation is what uh, the the um, addiction to clinging yes to pain and pleasure. But if you really look at it, what is it? It's not understanding that all phenomena are are in flux, are in movement. And and uh, if you have a teacher that can show that to you, if you can't get it from a book or something. You can, it's, it's actually fairly straightforward to most minds if they have concentration. And the deeper the concentration, the deeper the appreciation of all phenomena, including mind states, emotions, sensations, uh, uh, any moment of physiology, perception, states of consciousness, ev- everything, all phenomena, is passing through at a fantastically uh, speedy rate and changing. Only the... Uh, dull mind and the imagining mind and the fantasy mind and the memory mind makes it into something else which is stable, firm, real. Uh, That's all. So, what's the answer? Why so much emphasis on meditation? There's no other way. The mind must slow down, develop profound concentration to get it. Do you know what I mean? Get it so that the it's done. It's not even a doubt. It's done. 
This is the way the universe is, and it's not an intellectual appreciation. It must be. The guts must hold it, must know it, and the physiology right throughout the body, body-mind, actually changes and accommodates the bliss, the clarity bliss, of that there's no other way in which the universe is. There's no other fantasy. It's just, is this way. It's not a fantasy. It just simply is. It's buzzing around madly and with a certain mathematical, beautiful order to it. Galaxies are dancing. Galaxies are swirling. Uh, insects are flitting about, never, never stopping. Even when they stop in a light, they're beating and moving and changing. All cells are, are buzzing and growing, yes? Do you have to actually look under a microscope and look at a protozoa and look at, at, pro, at a single cell just absolutely pulsing, that there's never a moment when it stops? Even when it stops, it's... Or you think it stopped and then you notice that something, that something is completely in motion, movement. Right? If we had the ultraviolet and the, the live dyes, you could see the inside of the cells and the various protein channels and everything else uh, constantly moving. Nothing stopping. Just fluid, fluid movement all the time. Nothing, nothing stops. Nothing, nothing remains the same. So the mind that wakes up to that is extraordinarily free and knows that the universe is open. It's changing, just changing. It keeps changing. What could a fully settled mind be? Pardon? What could a fully settled mind be if it's continuous movement? Because in that, in that uh, continuous movement is utter peace. In the, in the flux of the universe mm-hmm. is utter peace of mind. The mind is absolutely stable. In that, in that utter movement. And then it doesn't matter if the mind moves or is still. But even within that, the mind is pristinely open because the universe is that way. It's an open state, it's not a closed state. You see, it's the, it's the clinging. It's the clinging to make it something it isn't that causes the mind to be disturbed. The minute it actually lets go, the mind is in a clear, vivid state, but it doesn't have to be, um, what's the word, settled. It's already settled. Let me put it another way. This is why the analogy to space the mind is space-like and is outside the bounds of transience. So be, the reason why it's utterly stable and still and can take the appearance of utterly turbulent and move and can take on any conception at all is because it's outside the bounds of that. It isn't a thing. Remember what the text started with here, with Gunther's translation. All component, right, things are transient. The mind is not component at all. It's outside the bounds of that.
It's not. It's not. Take a look. You've got to look carefully and see the mind is not um, a mind, not your mind, not mind states. But wisdom mind doesn't come and go. Like an unbroken thread, it doesn't come and go. It doesn't stop and start. It doesn't change. It doesn't, doesn't do all the different things. It just is the most stable nature. It's a stable nature that runs through everything. Underpins everything. So we'll find that. But the only way you're going to find that is when the mind profoundly appreciates the transience of phenomena. Why? Because then it all ceases. All the clinging ceases. Hmm? Does that make any sense to you? Yeah. Let go the clinging to phenomena as being lasting. And let go, and then the mental formation, it lets go of the clinging, it ceases, and it can actually experience that profound, clear light, blissful nature, which is alive, not dead. Otherwise, we may as well cast you in bronze. Is that what you'd like? Be ca- little Buddhas or big Buddhas cast in bronze. Totally stable. And then you never have to do the dishes again. Mm. And we could eat little wonder pills for food. No need to grow gardens. Just order up with a button little wonder pills, little white or black or green pills for, okay, let's let's say uh, uh, for breakfast, uh, because it's, you know, it's starting the day, uh, green pills. No, red pills for breakfast, for power, you know, for energy, yeah? And then you can have green pills, a green pill for lunch, and a blue pill for supper. How's that? Oh, variety. Lots of variety. And then it'll all be stable. All be stable instead of never knowing what food you're going to have. Millet with blueberries, millet with amaranth. Chinese sticky millet. I mean, you never know what's going to happen. You never know. <laughs> okay, I think that's plenty. Then tomorrow we'll de- enter deeply into the contemplation of, of transience. Good. It's a great antidote for um, getting on with it. When you, when you start to contemplate, we should do some numbers. We should crunch some numbers of, of the number of beings dying and just beings dying per second. Should you do that? You could, you could work on that tonight. Yeah, just work on that. Just crunch the numbers and give some people an appreciation of how many beings die per second. We'll, we'll go, and because it's more meaningful if it's humans, let's work on the number for tomorrow, which is the number of human beings that die per second, pass away per second. Let's get appreciation. And the feeling uh, in the mind of, no, not yet. No, no, I've, I've, got, I've got years. I've got years. I don't need to practice. I've got years ahead of me. Lots of years ahead of me. Okay. That would be good, wouldn't it? Yeah. Number of humans that die uh, every second on the planet. Hmm? Yeah. Or, on the, or Canadians or New, Ze- New Zealanders. Okay.
called Getting Real. By this powerful activity, this, this punyakama, uh, and meritorious activity too, uh, power and merit, same, same word, uh, may it lead to the end, the ending, the cessation, the drying up of the floods, the uh, streaming emotions that carry beings away uh, for all beings. Idante punyakamanga sawaki wahango to Idante punyakamanga sawaki wahango to Idante punyakamanga sawaki wahango to Sabe sata sutantu. May all beings be happy and healthy. May all beings be established in a continuity of freedom, unbroken, the unity of wisdom and compassion for Buddhahood. For all beings, may they have many blessings, many blessings, many blessings. Thank you.